This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Our scripture reading this evening is Luke chapter 2, verse 1 through 20. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth to Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the field nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. This is the words of God for the people of God. Hello, my friends. For the fifth and final time, I'm here to share my story with you. As you know by now, my name is Ebenezer Scrooge, and I would guess that you know me. Perhaps you've even heard some of my story if you've been with us these past few weeks or if you've seen one of the 150 film adaptations of my story you may be acquainted with me today I have my story to end and what an end it is what a transformation 
When last we spoke, I told you of my encounter with the ghost of Christmas future, the terrifying visions he revealed to me, and I ended that encounter in a wrestling match with the spirit, attempting to convince him that I could indeed change. And as it came to a close, I could see that the phantom had transformed and I was no longer standing in the, se in the graveyard that I was in. Rather, I was back in my home. I was back in my bedroom. The time before me was my own. I had time enough to make amends. I will live in past and present and future. I repeated my promise to the spirit as I scrambled from my bed. The spirit of all three shall strive within me. Oh, Jacob Marley, oh, heaven and Christmas time be praised. My voice cracked from my cries and sobs from the spirit when I was with him, and my face was wet with tears as I, ex as I examined the bedroom. They're not torn down, they're here, I'm here. The shadows of the things that would have been are dispelled. I don't know what to do. I cried, I would laughed, I cried again. I'm as light as a feather, I'm as happy as an angel, I'm as merry as a schoolboy. A merry Christmas to everyone. And I whooped and I hollered and I found my way into the sitting room, which was now standing painted. I glanced over at all the various things that had been left behind the night before. There was the saucepan, there was the door by which Jacob had entered, the corner where the ghost of Christmas presents sat, the window where the wandering spirits had frightened me so. It was true, it had all happened. I don't know how long I was with the spirits. I didn't care how long I was with the spirits. I was granted this new chance of life, and I was grasping onto it. I ran to the window. I stuck my head out, and I found the fresh air and the sunlight and the cold wind and the merry bells from the churches all throughout London greeting me. Seeing a young boy clad in his Sunday clothes, I cried out, What's today? And the boy could only stare at me in wonder and surprise as he said, What? What is today, my fine fellow? I called down again. Today? Why, today? It's Christmas Day. It's Christmas Day, I said to myself. I haven't missed it. The spirits had done it all in one night, but, oh, of course they could. They could do whatever it was they liked. And so I called once more to the boy. Do you know the bishop, or do you know the butcher? Do you know the butcher the next street corner? Do you know the one, do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging there? Not the little one, the big one. Why, the one as big as me? The young boy replied. Yes, my boy, it's hanging there now. It is. Well, go and buy it. The boy thought I was joking. The boy thought I was quite mad. No, no, I'm in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here so that I can give them the directions where to take it. Come back and I'll give you a shilling. No, come back in less than five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. Oh, and the boy shot off like a dart. And so I began to scheme and ponder and decide what it was I would do. I would send it to Bob Cratchit and, oh, he wouldn't know who had sent it. It was twice the size of Tiny Tim and it would be a wonderful joke. I wrote the address and I ran downstairs to meet the man who carried the turkey and seeing that it was far too large for him to carry it all the distance, I called a cab and I sent the man along. 
Oh, shaving was no easy task that morning as I was still shaking from the joy of the whole affair and my mind was racing with all of the opportunities and even if I cut my nose off, I'd only have plastered it back on and I would be quite satisfied. Somehow I did not do this. Somehow I finished without cutting myself or without removing my nose and... I dressed myself in my best, and I started into the streets, and I saw the people pouring out. I walked among them, hands behind me, and on my face I bore a delighted smile. I must have looked so irresistibly pleasant that more than once I received a good morning or a Merry Christmas. Soon I came across the man I had seen the day before who was asking me for donations, and my heart lurched as I remembered my cruelty to him. I knew I had to do something. My dear sir, I said, shaking his hand, how do you do? I hope that you succeeded yesterday in all your endeavors. Understandably, the man looked quite taken aback. Mr. Scrooge, why, yes, that is my name, and though I fear it may not be pleasant to you, I ask your pardon. And I leaned in and I whispered in his ear that I would like to make a generous donation of quite an amount. Lord bless me, he cried, he said, clearly taken away. Are you serious? If you please and not a farthing less, a great many back payments are included in there, I assure you. After this, I went to church, and I walked about, and I watched the people as they hurried to and fro, and I greeted children, and I questioned beggars, and I found everything that could yield me pleasure, and I never dreamed that any walk could give me such happiness. When the afternoon came, I went to my nephew's home, and I truly must have passed the door a dozen times as I steeled my courage and prepared myself before I finally went up and knocked. The serving girl welcomed me, and I made my way into the dining room to meet my nephew. Fred! I swear my niece by marriage must have jumped a full foot in the air. Why, bless my soul, my nephew cried. Is that my Uncle Scrooge? It is, said I. Will you let me join you for dinner? Let me in. It was a mercy the boy didn't shake my arm off, and I was at home in less than five minutes. Nothing could be merrier, and my niece looked just as happy as the other guests when they came, and oh, it was a wonderful party with wonderful games, with wonderful happiness. It was a wonderful Christmas. The next morning, I arrived at the office early, so early that I hoped that I could catch Bob Cratchit coming in late, and that's exactly what he did. Nine o'clock came, and nine o'clock went, and then 9.15 came, and 9.15 went, and Bob, in the end, was a whole 18 minutes late, and I sat with my door open so that I might see him. He removed his hat, and he opened the door, and he sat down on a stool in a hurry and began to dart away with his pen as though trying to convince me that he was not late. What do you mean by coming in at this time of day? I called to him from my office chair. I'm sorry, sir, I'm behind my time, he said. Yes, I think you are. And I invited him into my office and 
despite Bob's cries that it was only once a year and it won't be repeated, and I was making myself quite merry, I interrupted him quite harshly. Bob Cratchit, I will not stand for this thing any longer, and therefore I jumped from my stool and I poked him hard in the ribs. Therefore, I'm going to raise your salary. Oh, how Bob trembled. And I could see him considering retaliating before he realized what it was that I'd said. A Merry Christmas, Bob, I said with an earnestness he had never heard before from me. A Merry Christmas. I will raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. We'll discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a bowl of soup. Bob, make up the fires. Buy more coal. And can I just say that I was better than my word? I did it all and infinitely more, and to Tiny Tim, who did not die, I became like a second father. I became to them as good a friend, as good a master, as good a man as any knew, and some laughed to see the alteration in me, but I let them laugh, and I heeded them little, for I had become wise enough to know that nothing ever happened in this world that some people did not laugh over. Oh, it's true that I lost many of my old friends, those business partners and the well-to-dos with whom I, whom I would once gather, but what were they to me? Those friends who had once held me in contempt and yet welcomed me when I had something to offer, I lost them, but my heart was filled with friends and family, and that was good enough for me. I never saw another spirit after that, but it was always said that I knew how to keep Christmas well, and if any man alive possesses that knowledge, I'm happy to be counted among them. So that may that be said of us all, and as Tiny Tim observed, may God bless us, everyone. What redeems a person? What are the marks of a transformed life? This past Sunday, I noted that at the end of a Christmas carol, Scrooge is not just more charitable, he is rather more willing to make efforts to see to it that less charity is needed. He pays Bob Cratchit what we might call a living wage. He provides Bob Cratchit with what we might call health insurance. He reduces his habit of unreasonable interest and debt repayment plans and stops preying on the poorest of the poor. He engages with the downtrodden and the downcast, and he seems to live a life set upon raising such folks from their places. He has his losses, of course. If it's to be believed, Scrooge lost a great many old friends and business partners, but what loss were they really? Or rather, what loss was their supposed friendships? Instead, think of what Scrooge gained. Consider 
Consider it how we might consider words from Scripture. As Paul said in Philippians, to live is Christ and to die is gain, to die is gain. Or as Jesus said, sell your possessions and give them to the poor and follow me. Or whoever wishes to save their life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Here in the end of the story, Scrooge loses his life, or rather, he loses the life he once had, or the wife he, he let, the life he once held onto so tightly, and in return, he gains so much more. Money and wealth are no longer idols to him, but rather things to be used and given away for the benefit of others. Wealth that excessive hoarding of money at the expense of others is given up and lost. Scrooge, it could be said, loses a great deal at the end of this book. The Wall Street Journal put out an article last year which was called In Defense of Scrooge, Whose Thrift Blessed the World. It seems as though every year more and more articles come out that argue that Scrooge actually had it right at the beginning of the book and not at the end. By worldly financial, by worldly financial measures, Scrooge is a loser at the end. Scrooge would never make it on the cover of Time Magazine's Person of the Year. Rather, Scrooge loses his reputation among his friends, just as he loses, just as he would lose it today among journalists and publications were he alive in our time. But what if the wealth isn't shared? <clears throat> what if life isn't shared? Christ never spoke kindly when he spoke of wealth, which was quite often. He told the rich young ruler to sell all that he had. He disparaged those who made grand plans of tearing down their barns so that they could store excessive grain in brand new ones. He said, perhaps most famously, that you can't serve two masters. We can't serve God and mammon. We can't serve God and wealth. When wealth is our idol, then love of it and pursuit of it will always overshadow our love and pursuit of God. When love or when wealth is our idol, then love of it and pursuit of it will always overshadow our love and care for others. And doesn't it seem like this is where the world finds itself, a world where the foundations of our society seem to bow to the almighty dollar? We are so often apt to judge the success or failings of a nation not by Christ's measuring rod, but rather by the GOP or GDP. Instead of measuring a nation by how well they treat the least of these, we judge it based on how well the market's doing. It would seem that for so much of the world, a God has been chosen, and that God is wealth. In so many ways, hasn't that become the meaning of Christmas? Wealth, spend, 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 and buy the perfect gift for the people you love.
but the meaning that Christ offers us is something different. As another character from another story once said, maybe Christmas, though, is a little bit more. The transformation of Scrooge is one where by worldly measures he loses so much. By worldly standards he is no longer as financially secure. He is no longer as wealthy. He is no longer as upstanding among the well-to-do crowd, but he is richer than ever before. His life is filled with friends and family and love. And as if to emphasize that, we only need to look at Scrooge's nephew, Fred. In the beginning of the book, we never hear Fred's name spoken. He's just referred to as the nephew. To Scrooge, Fred is little more than an obligation, an object that gets in his way with silly notions and ideas. Fred is an obstacle. But here at the end of the book, Scrooge refers to him by name. Scrooge sees him as a person. Scrooge, in losing his wealth and his riches and his reputation, in realigning his priorities, sets himself on a better path. He sets himself on the path to salvation. He sets himself on that path wandering and searching for that star. I hope, my friends, that you found some value in this story. I've learned a lot about doing a sermon like this, and I hope to do more like them in the future. And I hope you're willing to grant me a bit of leeway for the costume and the dramatics. I know in a dark time such as ours, a little humor, a little drama is necessary and hopefully appreciated. Friends, my Christmas wish for you is this. Be blessed. Be loved. Be smart. Be safe. And most of all, be merry. For even though things are not as right as we wish they were, Even though some of us are still mourning the loss of a loved one who is not with us this Christmas, the fact remains that we are alive, that we are together, and that we are loved. True things could be better, but hey, couldn't they always be better? But we can always take joy in what we do have. And I, for one, am grateful for you. This marks the end of six months with all of you. It feels like it's been longer in the best way. can go one of two ways so in the best way it feels like it's been longer and I can't wait to get to know all of you even more even better I know that this has been a hard couple of years in so many ways in our world in our church in our families 
And I pray that in the year ahead, we might live lives more towards grace and more towards love, that we may find hope. We may live with the expectation that Christ in his coming will improve all things through all things. We will experience Emmanuel. God with us. And that the God who is with us will indeed bless us, everyone. Amen.